Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, welcome back, Solar Warrior. If you missed it, this is part two of a two-part series on the career of one of our solar pioneers, George Hirschman, the founder and CEO of Solve Energy, formerly known as Swinnerton Renewable Energy. And I would really encourage you to listen to them in sequence so that you can truly appreciate the narrative of how George and the Swinnerton Energy team and now the Solve team have come to be his entire career being based in construction and how they ultimately became the largest utility player in the solar industry here in the United States. It was so good to hear in that part one a lot of George's thinking around the scaling process of the business, how they decided to make the name change from Swinnerton to Solve, the way that they thought about sort of the role of their team members and even their strategies around different areas of focus. George is now the chairman of the board for SIA, the Solar Energy Industries Association, for the second term. And he is deeply involved and deeply cares about not only job creation, but job retention. We talk about the transferable skills that are applicable from all kinds of roles into the renewable energy sector and his approach to community engagement and their impact to the environment, their impact in a cultural sense as well, and how you build culture in the company. Heck, we even dabble in their ownership structure and the nature of entrepreneurship and uh, and leadership in an organization as large and, and impactful and, and pertinent as a company like Solve. If you do like what you hear, and especially if this is your first time here listening to Suncast, I hope that you'll hit the subscribe button, the notify button, all the ways that you'll be reminded the next time an episode is out. That's how you won't miss out on our twice weekly content, just like what you are enjoying here with this interview with George course you can always check out more than 475 additional founder stories and startup advice over at mysuncast.com there we also have our entire back catalog of episodes that are no longer syndicated through most of the podcast platforms because when you get to 300 they start to recycle but for now i would encourage you to just sit back buckle up and get ready to tune up your skills solo warrior as we tune into another powerful conversation part two of george hirschman here on suncast george and a conversation like this, I don't think we could exhaust neither the stories nor the opportunity for us to tell them that encompass a company the size of the one that you've grown as a division. The thing that most folks will recognize, apart from Solve, formerly Swinerton, being the largest EPC in the United States, one of the largest in the world, is exactly what I just referred to, formerly Swinerton. We've given the background of Swinerton and how you stood up this division within this organization that many of us just sort of associate with, I would say the the tier one quality of utility scale, in most cases, utility scale, construction in the industry. Can you talk a bit about the evolution of developing a platform that ultimately became 
the brand and the business itself? Sure. Well, I think as we probably spoke about a little bit before, in 2008, we looked at uh, unique kind of new business opportunities Mm -hmm. um, in the middle of the financial crisis at Swinerton, where a number of our customers, commercial customers, you know, high-rise residential, a number of areas that were significantly impacted due to the financial crisis and looking to pivot into new business opportunities. So that led us into the early days of renewables. And, you know, we, I think, quickly over over a few years pivoted from a commercial business to a utility scale business. And then we've really seen over the last four or five years, really, as we started to come out of the 2016 ramp up, we saw that there was a huge opportunity in this in this business. And as we work through the past administration and now obviously a very favorable administration towards renewable, we saw that we really needed to pivot away from from our Swer- our Swinerton parent and recognize that we needed to find a platform that could fuel the growth of the business long term. And if we were going to stay in really lockstep with our clients and our customers, then the relationships that we had built and trying to continue to grow market share, that we needed a significant partner and platform to do that. And it gave us the opportunity to set up a structure going forward that will provide our customers with the best possible customer experience and service, as well as provide the industry with a a company that has the size and scale it needs to grow with the industry. If you're sitting in my chair and you have 15% 15% of the market share today, but the industry is going to grow three or four times. And that means your customers are going to grow three or four times because the, you know, there is a consolidation across the, the developer space that we, we were almost forced into this move, right? If we were going to, if we were going to continue to provide service or it was, we were going to be forced into a position where we were going to start saying no to our best customers and the best relationships that I have in the industry. And I, I, we were just weren't prepared to do that. Or as a number of other companies have done, spin out only the asset management side of the business and, uh, and, and in some way dispossess it, right? Let it go to a different uh, provider, which doesn't fit with the overall customer care model that you've built. Yeah, it didn't really fit our model. Um, in fact, we like the uniqueness of being a, you know, EP, a true EPCOM, right? Somebody that can provide that inception to decommissioning service, right? You know, George, to that end, I actually have a question around really thinking from an asset owner's perspective, the difference between someone who is EPCOM versus EPC versus asset management. Uh, and this comes a bit to the decision you've made to roll everything into one business, in and out of Swinerton, et cetera. How does being engaged in both the upfront construction planning process, as well as the uh, after construction asset management process, look differently to an owner through the lens of someone like Solve versus the model that we've kind of grown up with, which is someone builds it, someone else takes care of it. I think that it really gives us a unique perspective and probably is the reason why we focused most of our 
relationships and most of our build experience around long-term asset owners. So developers that are going to own the assets, because we really sit on the same side of the table with that type of partner relationship. It gives us the ability to understand, you know, we're not only trying to target the lowest build cost, right? It's not just about CapEx, it's about OpEx as well. And how do we build a plant that has the lowest overall cost of ownership, which ultimately, you know, creates the lowest cost of energy. And because we have such a robust O&M group and there is a information loop that happens between our O&M teams and our engineering teams, and we really understand what the overall cost of ownership is. And at the end of the day, that is the deliverable, right? It's not, it's not a lowest cost of to build it and then with a high cost of, of operating it, right? You have to really balance those two. And so I think it allows us to have discussions with our customer partners to say, here is a trade-off between a really low CapEx cost, which could translate into either a higher OpEx cost or lower energy output, right? We could really have those discussions. And, you know, there's nobody as uniquely capable of having those discussions as Solve Energy is because nobody has the type of, you know, robust build platform associated to a robust O&M platform. George, I think a, a final question I would have around just operational things to that point is, do you have any anecdotes or uh, sort of perspective that you can give on how the visibility, both on the front end and on the back end of the projects, the EPC side, as well as the operations side, have helped you and by extension, the industry drive costs down in a meaningful way for the, uh, for the end client? Yeah, I think that having both an EPC platform and an O&M platform and sharing the information between those two groups has allowed us to understand where a lot of the, the, the OPEX costs, the costs after commissioning happen. And, you know, and so we've been able to optimize those differences into the design, but just in a practical sense of being able to bundle the services there are efficiencies that are created between the two. There's a, you know, there's an expensive and time-consuming commissioning period that happens. And when you have the O&M, we move our, our O&M teams in early. They help commission the plants. When we start to look at the plant size getting larger and larger and looking at phased energization, which means that you're in inevitably having the EPC and the O&M working on the same site together. And you can imagine how much challenge there is when those are two different companies versus when there's one company working together. So we're seeing the costs of those activities driving down and we're pushing that off to our customers and our customers realize the benefit of the cost difference. So in a just a basic sense, if we had a an A delivery, which was the EPC only, and a B delivery, which was the O&M only, an A, B delivery is more cost effective to the owner. We deliver that as a lower cost because we see those true benefits that happen 
one, we either have to have our O&M team, if we're its O&M only, we have our O&M team on a site early and has to, you know, prior, you know, prior to start billing, because it's oftentimes earlier than commissioning, to start getting up to speed with the EPC that's building it. There's a lot of interaction between, you know, how the project was built, a lot of learning the system compared to our system. So there's those cost expense on the O&M side, and that there's also the cost expense on the EPC side, where if we're not doing the O&M, then we have to keep warranty reserves and we have to be prepared to go back on warranty calls. And that's an expensive situation where you have to send a technical team back on a warranty call, which doesn't exist when we have an O&M team right there, right? So we can balance those and transfer that savings to our our client partner. George, as the chairman, you obviously oversee a number of elements of how SIA moves policy forward, moves committees forward, and help ensure that those who are newer to the organization know where to plug themselves in and we as a broader community. I'd love to know what are the two or three things that you think are the critical elements that SIA is going to play a role in the coming years? I think that obviously policy direction that SIA continues to push and be the really the leader of the industry and, and voice on Capitol Hill, I think is a huge part of its mission and is one of its strongest suits now. And I think the the issue around workforce development and job creation, uh, particularly when you believe that a energy bill will move forward one way or the other in this in, with this administration, a clean energy bill that will have some aspect of labor requirement to it, whether that be prevailing wage, apprenticeship programs. I think SIA has a leading voice and a leading role in that. And I think that, you know, EPCs like ourselves and others that are on the board have the opportunity to really shape that regulation going forward. That ultimately is the large job creator in this industry. Lastly, probably the manufacturing piece, right, is really understanding and moving forward on something like SEMA or something that recognizes the need for true industrial policy for manufacturing. Those are the, the three main focuses of you know, what I see SIA can do in the, you know, in the, in the future. Obviously, a lot of it they've done in the past, but you know what, going forward, those are things that I want to focus, continue to focus on. George, on the topic of workforce and talent development, it's not lost on me that you build a culture of excellence. And over the course of time, those excellent people are offered opportunities outside of your organization. Could you talk a bit about the culture of a company where you naturally are training individuals who, for reasons outside of your control, can decide to take those skills elsewhere? And how you as a leader think about that, both holding on to those employees and I'll say letting them go and being a, being a, a, what I would say is an incubator for excellent talent that populates through the industry, as we know, as happened with your current and former employees, as well as many other organizations in the industry. What would you say to other CEOs who are thinking about their culture and what it means to watch these folks grow into leaders? Well, I think um, there's a couple of different questions in there. I think 
let's address the first one. It is not my intention or ever my job to be an incubator and watch talent move out the door. One of the things I'm most proud of at Solve Energy and and formerly the Swinnerton days is that we retain talent. We have probably a much different track record than a lot of companies within the renewable space where they're, you know, people have worked at many, many different companies. And we have been able to retain our talent. That is a hard thing to do in an industry that's growing as rapidly as as we are. And and our folks have a, you know, have a pedigree coming out of this group. But that means you have to make it very appealing for people to stay here and you have to give opportunity here and that's one of the reasons why one of the things that that we talk a lot about is growth and there's a lot of different reasons why companies grow and need to grow and first and foremost i see growth as opportunity i'm going to be at this at the helm of this industry or this company for a long time i i don't have anywhere else i I want to be than to to being part of this organization. And that means for a number of our leadership team, we have to recognize that we have to grow the group wider because it's not it's not going to give opportunity unless we have more we, we're doing more business or more lines of business. We're offering new services where people can step up and be leaders within our organization. Because if we can't give them that, they will go be leaders in somebody else's organization. So growth to me is about giving opportunity and retaining talent. Because you know, at some point, everybody wants to be a leader of something. And so they're gonna go be a leader. And I, that means I've just trained what could be my competition. And so I would much rather look, you know, spread the organization wide and have more of a footprint and do more services and let people become business leaders within this same organization. And that is that is first and foremost. And I, I will tell you that I'm proud of our track record. I'm proud of the numbers. We haven't we haven't retained everybody, but the vast majority of people are here and are here and see this as the place to really grow in the industry because we will we will absolutely give new opportunity to people. I love when a team member comes in and says, "George, I have this great idea for a service or an offering or something we can try and I'd like to take the lead." It's a I want I want entrepreneurship to be infectious in this company and I want to support it. And you know what? I'm also not afraid to fail, right? In certain areas, we have not been successful in everything that we've tried, but you got to fail along the way and figure out what is going to be successful for us. And so that's an important part of retention. And if you're, if you're not doing that in your company, in this industry, you will lose people because you can't fight if it's a if it's just a arms race around dollars, you know, ultimately you're going to lose that battle, right? There's too much money, 
that comes into this industry. There's too much investment. There's too many companies that want to want to buy resumes, you know, and build their way into this this industry by not through building projects, but by just capturing people. And so you have to be prepared to offer more than just that. And you've got to build leaders internally. And so we invest a lot in in our talent development group and making sure that we're providing people the technical skills to do their job, but also the leadership skills to do their job of the future. Hey, solar project owners and developers are infrequent field checks in your operations and maintenance plan and oversight. Do you need proper insight? Well, let data drive your maintenance. Our friends over at 60 Hertz are in the cloud so that you spend less time on the ground and their app is a snap. 60 Hertz in your pocket will help bring solar to the socket. You can learn more about how 60 Hertz can help your operations and maintenance plan at mysuncast.com forward slash 60HERTZ. That's 60 Hertz. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid-cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. Its built-in DC-to-DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. George, I'm certain it could be said of you by many who have experienced that level of leadership that you are their example of a success story. I've heard many people refer to you and the Swinnerton team and the Solve team now as successful, quote unquote. When you think about our industry, is there a person or a business that comes to mind for you? And I know I don't, I'm not asking you to pick favorites. I'm asking you to grab, grab one, maybe one story, but that stands out for you as either inspirational and an example of success or kind of what comes to mind for you when you think about success in our industry? Well, I don't, without naming names, because a number of folks that you um, have interviewed and are um, industry colleagues of mine and, and truly become friends of mine have helped me pave the way for this business and I see as successful for our industry and the the unique part of this industry for me and and part of the reason maybe that i i've one of the reasons that i've chose to participate at the board level of sia is i believe so much in this industry that i want everybody every company to be successful right i want my my you know it doesn't mean that i'm not a very competitive person and i like the fact that our business wins at you know, at, at the EPC business and wins at the O&M business. And I, and I am sure that it will win at every business and service line that it tries. But I want this entire industry to be successful, right? A black eye by one company or one project hurts us all. And so it's a, to use an old, you know, kid slang, right? There's a, there's a friend of me, you know, situation here where we, we all need each other. This industry is so big and is so transformational and we have to do this right, right? We are, we're in a, we're in a climate crisis 
that we are on the forefront of battling. And so we need everybody to be successful. And I will tell you that there are uh, a number of people in this industry, and I, I'm proud to say that people look at our industry as and our team as successful, but there are a number of really great entrepreneurs in this industry that are in some areas branching out, started in started in solar, maybe moving into uh, some unique EV businesses, maybe starting, you know, moving into hydrogen businesses. Those are folks that I have, you know, I have a lot of respect for that recognize that the transition to electrification requires all of those different business lines and all those different opportunities. So I would never call out individuals specifically because there's just too many to name and I will ultimately, you know, forget one. But this industry is full of of leaders. And I think, you know, I, I look forward to when the history is written around the electrification industrial revolution. And I'm I'm gonna be proud that I'm gonna know a whole bunch of people in that in that book, right? And I spent time with them and we built our businesses together. So true. You mentioned earlier Don Davis as an example of a mentor that was key in your life. Um, I wonder, are there any particular lessons or takeaways from those important mentors in your life or career that you'd want to share here for others to, to understand? Yeah, I, I think that I, um, I mentioned Don in, in a discussion because Don hired me at Swinerton and believed in me, gave me a lot of opportunity and was just a very much a hands-on leader. He knew each of us personally, he knew our families, he knew our situations. He brought a very personal touch to leadership, which I was, which I, I've tried to continue that culture moving forward. You know, I think that there's really simple lessons learned and, and you know, mentorship that came from my, my dad, right? I remember the first real job I, I got was for a housing developer and I was going to go down to a housing track and be an assistant superintendent on the on a job which meant I meant I swept out a lot of floors uh, most of the time but it sounded good but it was a unique opportunity for me at an early age and my dad said something very simple was was turn the lights on and turn the lights off and you'll be successful which really meant just be present right? Be there and understand what's going on all the time, right? And pick up from everybody, the conversations, the way that interaction happened between people and just, you know, stay the course, right? Of, and that was just a pretty simple lesson and something that I've, that I've always remembered is that if you are there and you're present, it's amazing, one, what you learn and two, the opportunity that you get, because you know a lot of opportunities come when nobody else is around, right? When people look around and and give opportunity to somebody who's just there. And so, you know, I think that that has has been something I have used and told people a lot, right? Is just just turn the lights on and turn the lights off, and then pay attention between those times. And I've told that to my my kids as well, as they start to move through 
you know, their high school and college years and move into, you know, job interaction and, a, and more, you know, adult interaction, that that being present is so valuable. Where do you glean either inspiration or uh, information that helps you stay current and in a feeling of confidence as a, as a leader in our industry? Probably the biggest source of information I get is through industry relationships and industry professionals that I'm, I'm constantly in contact with, right? This is, a, I have, a, I've built a large network of industry professionals that are also my friends and we interact on a regular basis around, you know, industry topics. George, I'm curious more on the personal side, uh, before you get to the office or perhaps it's even in, uh, in the office in your day-to-day work, what habit or consistent practice has given you the greatest impact or yield in your life and your work? So I think one of the best habits and something that I try to do on a regular basis is direct contact with my leadership team. I sometimes force myself just because time constraints to make sure that I reach out to internal team members. But I believe that our external partners are some of our our best leaders in our organization as well. And so continuing to have that open dialogue, and I I almost force myself to have those, you know, because you can sit, you can sit behind email Mm. all day long Mm. and preach, (laughs) right? Versus getting out and just, just picking up the phone and calling folks, as well as just, it's amazing how much, how much dialogue I have between some of the greatest industry leaders and some of our internal industry leaders you know, sitting behind a text message, right? You might think it's a little bit strange, but mm. it's amazing that point of contact with folks. And I, you know, I obviously prefer to pick up the phone and call, but as, as we all live busy lives, mm-hmm. it's amazing how many just pieces of information are shared on a daily basis with a dozen of the, of the, of folks that you would say are the industry leaders. And that just this all reach out together and and stay in contact. And so that's, you know, that's been a a successful part. I also get up and walk around, right? Now that we're back in the in the office, it is important to just, you know, go around and see your people, right? We have such a tendency, and I think that, you know, COVID put us all behind screens that we make it we make it really easy to just hit a team's meeting and call with somebody that happens to be across the hall. And it's amazing how much you learn and how much you are exposed to your, your industry or your, your company by just walking around and going and seeing people and catching people where they are and having discussions with where they are. So I try to be as accessible as I can. And I think everybody says I have an open door policy. You know, we have an open door policy. Well, I'll tell you that we have a, you know, I try to get out in the, in the halls and have an open hall policy, right? I try to get, catch people where they are and, and interface. And that, that to me has built a culture of openness and has been some of my best learning opportunities is just hearing from our frontline leaders that are dealing with day-to-day issues and 
what their needs are and and has given me a lot of insight into how we're going to continue to shape and grow our organization. Yeah. George, before I ask my final question, it's clear you have built a culture that fosters growth and presents opportunity for it. And I know from many different conversations, not just with you, but with all of the leaders in the industry that have come before you here, that more now than ever, we are as an industry growing and we have a, a, a hiring deficit. This is kind of a twofer. Could you let everyone know the, the website they could visit? That's the new Solve website. And if it's separate from that, how they could engage with Solve to pursue the opportunity for a career with you as well. If they've enjoyed this conversation, and would like to work for someone like you. Sure. Well, we, we have elevated those efforts uh, because we have such a, a large need in ourselves as a, as a company as we grow that we have solveenergy.com has a career section that you can go to. We also actively advertise new job opportunities within you know, platforms like LinkedIn, our Instagram and, and Twitter accounts. We have lots of links to, to unique job opportunities. And I would say reach out to a solve energy employee if you know somebody here if you're in this industry the good news is you may know somebody who works here and we continually push out information to our employees because the best referrals that we get and the best opportunities to fill jobs come from our industry professionals that already work here and so we provide a lot of information to them so if you know somebody, reach out, reach, at, reach out to anyone and they can point you in a direction or provide you information on what jobs are available. Uh, but we make it very clear to our, our, our current workforce what our needs are so they have the information. But either of those spaces, you, you'll, you'll find it on our, on our Solve Energy site. You'll find it on our Instagram sites and you'll find it through um, our people. I'll note for those who are uh, maybe don't take me up on the offer to go to mysuncast.com and click through all the links that we share therein. Solve Energy is two E's, S O L V E N E R G Y. It's solve with no E. So S O L V and then the word energy.com. Let's end today, George, as we always do with what I call a bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking or perhaps you have different? insight into what's in your crystal ball so i i don't know that this is outside of what others are tracking mm -hmm. but i have spent a lot of time with sia and looking into the the future growth um, i've looked at you know a lot of the the industry projections and i think that we have have severely understated mm -hmm. the magnitude of the industry i think that you know in 5 years from now when we're looking down a, a electrification of the auto industry that is taken, you know, is, has taken hold. And we talk about the, the trucking and transport of goods being electrified. We will have severely undershot our numbers in the magnitude of, of solar deployment. Um, I think that will, you know, we still have to address interconnection and we still have to 
deal with distribution, but I, you know, we have done a lot of uh, modeling as we've moved through our, you know, our, our transition. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that we're going to see growth at such a massive scale. Yeah. And because, you know, we see just signs of it every single day. And I think that the unique parts of the industry, such, such as, you know, hydrogen and storage and those things will, will grow at a much more rapid pace than I think that we, we thought that we would, we would see initially, right? Because there's just, you know, we're going to hit a point where every substation across the U.S. is going to, is going to have a planned energy storage project and we're going to see massive car charging facilities that are going to have you know significant energy storage components associated to them it's just it's going to be electrification at a grand scale right i i I tell people all the time we're in the we're in the energy revolution right this is the world is changing and and we're we're behind the curve and i think that private industry is going to drive it much faster than we ever thought. It's exciting times. And now we have to, we have to build the workforce and we have to train the workforce and we have to go find those individuals, right? So we have to get out to areas that we never uh, focused on before as an industry and say, and, and attract that talent. And because we'll have, this will be a millions of job creator. George Hirschman is chairman of the board of directors for Solar Energy Industry Association, and he's also the CEO of Solve Energy, the largest EPC in the U.S. solar market. George, it has been a fantastic journey hearing about your journey and hearing the inspirational ways that you have instilled leadership inside your culture and grown a company that many, many of us admire. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to ask you all of these questions. Thank you. Well, thank you, Nico. I really appreciate it. And I, and I appreciate all you do for the industry, spreading this information and, and giving opportunities for uh, folks like myself and other industry leaders to, to share a little bit of insight into what we do is, is really appreciated and an important part of our renewable ecosystem. So thank you for what you do. All right, Solar Warrior. Well, that is the wrap on our conversation with Mr. George Hirschman, an icon in his own right, a guy who has been a visionary and provided leadership in this industry from the top and from the helm of one of the largest companies in the power sector now. And definitely, as I mentioned before, the largest utility scale construction company in the game today. I wonder, what did you learn from George's success story? What did you learn from the pivots and insights that he shared about his journey. What were some of your takeaways? The way he shared takeaways of guys like Don Davis, who hired him at Swinerton, and the lessons he learned from his father, turn the lights on and turn the lights off and you'll be successful, right? Be early, be present and understand what's going on all the time. Stay the course. A lot of opportunities come when nobody else is around. I've known George for a long time. That is not a hustling grind culture. It is a show up and work and put your overalls and your work boots on culture that George has cultivated 
over at Solve, and I so appreciate it. I'm certain that you do as well. I'd love to hear what you appreciate about this story. I know George would as well. Uh, If you're eager to keep the conversation going, you can join us over on LinkedIn. I've made a post about this episode that I'd hope you would tag on with your comment. And if you feel so led, share it to your own social networks or to your LinkedIn and tag someone that you think needs to hear this important mentor story. If you're eager to keep learning, well, you, my fellow Philomath, can find all of the resources and highlights from this and every other discussion that we've had on Suncast, along with the social media links for George and his team, the Solve Energy website, the book recommendations, and more over in the blog at mysuncast.com. As I mentioned, that's also how you can find the back catalog. If you scroll all the way down to the very bottom of the page, you'll find a search bar and you can search people that are longtime friends of George, like Daniel Sugar, who I haven't had back since the very beginning of the podcast, Mr. Suvi Sharma, who worked along with Daniel in that building that birthed not only Solaria, but Next Tracker and so many other uh, genius ideas. So much has happened in the annals of Suncast history, and I hope that you will dig into that back catalog. Every week we go into a tactical, practical conversation every Tuesday in long form episodes like this, sometimes longer than you were anticipating on Thursdays to give you insight about how this industry is in fact being birthed and growing. Thanks again to our sponsors who help make sure that this content is free for you so you can consume it each and every week. You can learn more about those sponsors and their offers by going to mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also how you could learn if you would be a good partner for us and how you can help the Suncast tribe grow. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thank you again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.